0: Hello Beloved of the Lord. So, uh, on the Sunday morning that you'll be watching this recording, we'll be away on our trip, and we'll probably be in, in Limfontein. Mm-hmm. that's the plan. And so, um, the last time we recorded one of these, we, um, we recorded because we were supposed to be away in Uganda, and then it became very um, useful because of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And we... Uh, adopted a bit of a different style back then. We did. Remember, we did the uh, Samuel story, mm. and we looked at looked at the prophet um, Samuel, and we really enjoyed that. Mm. And so we've decided to to do a bit more of a storytelling um, style this time around, because from the feedback we had, everybody else enjoyed it quite a bit. Yes,
1: I know we enjoyed it quite a lot doing oh, the yes. So
0: and so, we're going to do um, this teaching in two parts, this Sunday and next Sunday. And then, um, we are going to look at Samson. Samson. And we've never taught on Samson no. before. I don't think that I've ever in my entire life uh, teaching career, I've never taught on Samson in depth, and so we're going to have a good look at, at that. But, okay, so more of a storytelling uh, style, but mm-hmm. we're not going to depart in essence from our curriculum. Uh, we have been teaching on walking in the spirit and the determinate um, the factors, so there is the in New Jerusalem, eternal, eternal life, the Holy Spirit through grace, constantly bearing down on our lives and that we are encouraged by the Word of God to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Um, and this will actually link in very nicely with mm. um, that process, although it will probably be a bit lighter and more of a, an interesting story. We're going to look at many facets mm. um, that we haven't explored before.
1: Yeah. So we're going to, much the same as we did a a study of Samuel, we're going to do much the same of Samson, so look at his life, we're going to look at the narrative, and specifically we're going to try and see what we can learn about God, and about God's ways from the story of Samson. So to start us off, we're going to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, as you all know. Uh, because it 's the only place in the New Testament where Samson is mentioned, and we 're going to look at what it says, why he 's there, all of that it 's important to keep in mind that Samson wasn 't just a mighty profile or a warrior like profile uh, in the Bible. he was also a judge. So usually when we think of Samson we remember the very strong man and we remember the power and the might. Uh, we don't always remember or factor in that he was actually also a judge. Same Mm. as Samuel was. From what we can see from the Bible narrative is that he judged Israel for at least 20 years. And so we're going to keep that in mind. We're going to look at that. But so first, we're going to Hebrews chapter 11 and see what it says there.
0: So before we go there, keep in mind that Everything we're doing is highlighting the um, oneness with the body, mentality, mindset, attitude, character, personality. With other words, that which forms part of the whole uh, on earth while we're still in the body forms part of the whole eternally for the benefit of the whole eternity or eternally. And um, that we, 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 we contrast that with whatever is self self-focused, self-beneficial, self-preserving self. self. And so in this story, keep that in mind. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to start at verse 32. So everybody, you know the context. Uh, We start off with uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, with the big statement regarding faith. And then um, the author works his way through all the the great um, uh, witnesses of faith, mm. all the way through, and then you get to the end of that, and he, he's spoken of Enoch and Abraham and Abel and Moses and all the great men of faith. And um, towards verse thirty-two, he's now getting to the to the end of the he says, and what more shall we say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Now it's here where we quickly want to pay attention, because here yeah, he's going to make a little bit of a list. He, he very very um, um, uh, quickly mention some of the big names mm. in the Bible and then he, he, he's going to take the time still to make a little bit of a list of some of the exploits or some of the things they did mm. and so he says through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths, the mouths of lions Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the heads of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. So we're going to get back to that little list again. We're going to later on look at Samson as a as a mighty man, as a figure, as a protector of of the Israelites as a leader of the Israelites and a judge of Israelites and we're going to see which of these things he actually mm-hmm. did do mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that will help us understand his positioning. Then it says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now obviously he's uh, referring here to the first resurrection which is reserved only for those who loses their life for um, for the gospel, but more importantly for their witness mm. and for the witness of the Lord. That's important to keep in mind. Still others had trial of mockings and scourg- scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and um, goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony. All these having obtained a good testimony. Now he just referred here to the unnamed, um, not so famous, um, faithful believers Mm. those who are not recorded Mm. are not remembered and um, are not necessarily going to be celebrated and we're not going to look at them to learn anything specific from them but he says something profound at this moment he says and all these having obtained a good testimony. Mm. So we know earlier in the, in, the chapter, in chapter 11 he refers to the men and women of faith as they received a good testimony from God. And um, obviously they would have received a good testimony from, from the people. We mm. saw when we did the study um, on the life of Samuel yeah. that he still has a very good And a very strong testimony. Yes. Um, Even in our time, his his testimony endured. And here he says that even these unnamed, uh, unknown, uh, forgotten, um, faithful heroes of the faith, they obtained a good testimony through faith. But then he says, um, they did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now, this puts everything in perspective. He's got, he, in the, Through chapter 11, he named all the great mm. and wonderful names mm. in the Bible. And he says, we've got something better. We're the, we're, the, we're the generations that has the baptism and the outpouring, infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yes. We can walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Yes. There's something better. And um, this will bring us back to the story of Samson, because we're going to talk just now about what we heard when we were growing up Mm. about Samson. Mm.
1: Okay, so let's go to Judges chapter 14, and we're going to read from verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So here, I feel these verses really sum up the idea that most people would have had growing up about Samson. This hero-like figure who's very, very strong, almost this Hercules-type figure, Mm. uh, a real hero image. And um, especially in the way that the story is normally portrayed, we have this idea of he's this hero of Israel, the defender of Israel. And with backstories, I mean, most stories that have ever been told have the underlying storyline of the hero and the villain, light versus darkness. Uh, good fighting evil. And, um, you know, it makes for for a very exciting storyline. But now what also then happened is we see that in Sunday school and even in the children's Bibles, that this kind of idea, they like portraying this kind of idea even throughout scripture. And not only is he this very strong and mighty man of God Whom the spirit of God comes upon and he tears apart a lion, but we see that also later in the story is going to pose some riddles. So it's not just that he's very strong and that he has physical power, but it seems that he has wisdom. He has wits. You know, he can outsmart the enemy, the Philistines, and um, and so we're going to look at the story from with this background and see uh, what we can learn. Is this the truth? And uh, yeah, so let's look at that.
0: So now, bearing in mind the the image that we have in imprinted on us of um, the man Samson, we have an image of him being the hero, the antitype of the um, of the evil out there, the villain. And the villain seems to be the Philistines, and we have this image of him that is wise and is more intelligent, and he's the defender of Israel. Now that's something I want you to keep in mind, that through the way the story has been portrayed, in my experience, and I think what the image that most people would have of Samson is that he's the good guy, he's the defender of uh, Israel is their hero, their um, mighty man. Now we're going to start right in the beginning of his story. We see the story is just supernatural from the beginning. And then we're going to start unpacking it. Let's go all the way back. I think let's do some context just to make it more interesting. Mm. How's that? Let's go even further back because it's really interesting. Right, and... um, then we go all the way through, and we get uh, then we get to an interesting thing. Chapter ten, verse six. Uh, again, something interesting now happens. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bowls, the Ash the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the people of Ammon. Okay, so they just. Uh, in there just taking all the other people's guards on board and then it says and the guards of the Philistines and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon from that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And it's uh, in this context that Yephthah is raised up by the Lord. Now, we know that when it comes to Yephthah's story, um, what immediately comes to mind is not the fact that he had a wonderful victory over the enemies of Israel but the mammoth um, mistake that he made in um, making a pledge or a vow to the Lord and um, it led to him having to sacrifice his own daughter but there's something redeemable out of the story isn't there? So so what's redeemable Uh, out of the story of Jephthah is that um, he does keep his vows to the Lord and so does his daughter his daughter actually um, doesn't resist him in this so at least he had enough honor and faith to to do the unthinkable but he does keep his vows to the Lord Um, and, and then of course this progresses to a civil war Um, in the time of Yiphtar and then it says in chapter 12 verse 8 after him Ebzan of Bethlehem judged Israel he had 30 sons and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons he judged Israel 7 years then Ebzan died and was buried in Bethlehem so that was 3 short verses after him Elon the Zebulunite judged Israel. After him Elon the Zebulunite judged Israel. He judged Israel ten years, and Elon the Zebulunite died and was buried at Ayalon in the country of Zebulun. So this is the second judge after Ibzan, and then after him in verse thirteen Abdon the son of Hilal judged Israel. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons. He rode on who rode on seventy young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. So now we have about what twenty-five years of um of not much happening. These three judges um, over that period of time we judged Israel. And uh, they had loads of children and raised their children. Then we get to chapter 30, verse 1. And it says, Again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now when it says, "done," did evil in the sight of the Lord, this is usually idol worship. And so now we see we're right back. So they had a 25-year period where uh, things were fairly stable in the land. And um, we know that when things are stable for the Israelites, what do they do? They start backsliding and they start going back into idol worship. And now there's a judgment from the Lord's side and he says and the the Bible says and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years so it's a predetermined um, period of time specifically 40 years and uh, 40 years seems to be a period of time where God will give uh, a generation enough time to repent it's more or less the amount of years that a, a man would have after he comes of age Uh, So we know that the priesthood can start at the age of 30 and the person that lives well will uh, have 40 years after that to come to wisdom and maturity and repent. And so the Lord gives them 40 years and they are going to be delivered into the hand of the Philistines. And now here again, now we really see the Philistines as the... the, baddie or the evil um, uh, anti-type of the hero really ri- uh, coming into the storyline and, and rising to the scene. And we're going to see the Philistines being there for quite a while still throughout the book of Judges and then later on in the stories of King David and so forth. Um, and we're going to have a little look at uh, the Philistines specifically. Okay. Now we're going to look at the story. Here starts the story of Samson. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children but you shall conceive Bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Right. So, what just happened? Uh, there is uh, a man and this is the tribe of Dan so we know that uh, Samson is going to be born from the tribe of Dan and um, so an angel of the Lord appears to a woman and um, she used to be Babylon and he gives her the news that she's going to bear a son and this son is going to be a very special, He's going to be a Nazarite Now, it's worth noting that this is the first reference to a Nazarite in the Bible. So, there's no way of knowing if there was such a concept yet. But um, he says he'll be a Nazarite, and then he gives a a very specific instruction. And he says, um, Be careful. He's very polite. He says, Please be careful not to drink wine similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again. Okay, so here we see something quite significant. Um, Manoah is not named among uh, the uh, fathers of the faith that have great faith, but his response is quite interesting. So his wife says that um, the man did, didn't tell him his name and that he, um, and she thinks he was a, an angel of God. And Manoah goes and he prays specifically to Yahweh, prays to the Lord and says, send the man back. Well, this is quite an action of faith. Um, I mean, you just turn around and go, okay, Lord, I missed it. Just send him back. And what he says is very important. He says, so that the man can come and teach us. He wants to know God's Word. He wants to know the instructions. He wants to get it right. This is a very good attitude. So, I'd say that was an act of faith. And he says, "I want to know the instructions. I want to know your work, well, and we want to do this this right." And um, so the angel comes back. He's sent back, and he appears to the woman again, um, as she was sitting in the field. I mean, verse nine again. But Manoah, uh, but Manoah, her husband was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband, and said to him, "Look." The man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass Um, again. What a significant response. Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life? Now please pay attention. This is is where we want to pay attention to how the story unfolds. He says, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? What will be his rule of life and his work? Very specific questions and the correct questions to pose. So he asks specifically, what will be the rule of life? And what will the work be? In other words, what, is the, what will the child's work be? What's his destiny? What is his purpose? What does God want him to do? But the angel's answers. is quite strange. Um, because the angel answers him verse 13, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. So when asked about the child, what would the rules for the child be? What is the word for the child? And the angel answers and says, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young boat for you. Now the story continues where the angel says, even if you give me food, I won't eat it. Rather bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And... um, Noah uh, wants to honor the angel, he says, don't honor me, honor the Lord, and he proceeds and brings the sacrifice, and then something amazing happens as the flames of the sacrifice on the altar goes up, the um, angel ascended in the flame, and all of that, but what's significant is that um, he asked the right question, his attention was in the right place, but his attention didn't necessarily stay in the right place. And here is more or less where things starts going wrong in this story. It was a very promising situation for the Israelites. Very promising situation for a witness to God. And for God's perfect will to be done. For God to be revealed. For God's power and His person to be revealed. This was an amazing opportunity for a witness and a testimony. And it starts with Samson's parents. Even before his birth. And here we see Manoah reacting in a very faithful way. He seeks the Lord, says, send back the angel, I want to get this right. He asks the angel the correct question. And then he messes it up. Because the angel never tells him what Samson's purpose is going to be. He said, what will the work of the boy be And The angel doesn't tell him. The angel doesn't tell him, and and Manoah, instead of making sure, he went through all this trouble, and he doesn't make sure he doesn't ask again. So let's pick up what's important out of this piece of scripture. The instruction, the second time, is focused on the mother, the wife, having to do the right thing.
1: Even the first time.
0: Exactly. So, now we're looking at a situation where the the instruction is about her raising the child in the right way. He's going to be a special child from birth even unto death. Um, But she's got an amazing life. And this means that Manoah is going to have to live right. The father is going to have to live right. And he's going to lead his wife in the right way. So as a husband and wife, the responsibility, the onus is on them to live the right kind of lifestyle, to have the right witness, to keep themselves pure in purity and... raise their child with a witness. So their lives are to witness to the child. The instruction was to the woman and given to the man. So he has to now take authority, mm-hmm. step up, rise up in wisdom and authority. And um, this is where he makes a small mistake because instead of insisting on the right answer of what he needed to know about Samson's Purpose, because not nobody knows but Samson's purpose. He's going to be a Nazarite. That's it. Don't cut his hair. That's it.
1: And even I mean, you're saying that the angel giving instruction on how to raise this their son. Not even that really is given. There's no. uh, the only thing that's really given is instruction for how the mother is supposed to live. So that's not even like real instruction on how to raise a son. It's just a. a instruction on how to live as a witness to the son, but really there's very little said about him and about his purpose and how he should live himself. So, yeah. Exactly.
0: And so we could freely assume, and I think safely assume that because she was instructed not to use any alcohol and and, um, not eat anything unclean, that definitely the rules would apply to him. And we know that a razor shouldn't come near him. um, But now, instead of continuing in the right way, let's look at Manoha, the dad. His attention immediately starts going towards what can I do? This is always a huge mistake whenever we're in prayer, whenever we are receiving um, guidance and instruction according to God's will. So Manoha goes into that space when many of us could easily end up whenever we encounter God's will, when God shows us his ways even when God speaks to us from his word his attitude is what can I do and his immediate go-to is I'm gonna bring a sacrifice mm-hmm. so who really ended the appointment, who changed the conversation, not the angel, you know, who was supposed to be leading the conversation, who was supposed to be leading the meeting in a direction, obviously the angel, the angel is the one that knows what's going on, but the subordinate takes control of the situation, Mm. he starts steering how the events will go, um, what makes him think that the angel would now want to dine with them? Mm. He came for a purpose, came to deliver a message from God. He's busy working. He goes like I know you're busy working, but you yeah, know let's eat something. Okay, so there's huge lessons for the wise to learn from that in our everyday encounters with each other and with um, and with God let the superior in any encounter lead the conversation mm. let the one with most authority steer the way things are going to go and in most of our life whenever we pray or approach the word let the one with authority steer the the way things are going to go, instead of us steering things. And this is something we've learned over the years of doing counselling. Mm-hmm. People come see us for counselling and then they want to steer the conversation the way they want. Uh, or people come and they, and we, especially, in, I've seen this often over the years in people. People want to be discipled by us very often, but then they want to steer the process. So I'm supposed to disciple people and they're going to steer the process, determine where we're going, when we're going there, what they want to do. And this is when I climb up and I go like, so the angel goes back to heaven. And Manoah is left in a situation where he didn't receive the answer. Mm. And this is going to go very, very badly for everyone, for everybody involved. As a matter of fact, it goes very badly for a lot of people. You can't help but wonder what would have happened if Manoah just allowed the angel to finish, Mm. telling him what he was supposed to tell him. If he allowed the angel to to guide and to lead in authority, who knows? Now oh, this is very bad. Now the next thing that Manoah does that's quite significant is he says in verse 18. No, in verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Where's his attention? Mm-hmm. Where's his attention? This is a messenger from God.
1: Yeah. Also, very interesting, because which words is when I'm referring to? This is when the words come to pass, sweat right? when his wife doesn't eat the fruit of the wine. <laughs> yeah.
0: You see, so so you might be referring to when the child is born, because yes. that would be a miracle for a barren woman. Yes. But the fact of the matter is that um, he wants to honour the angel of the not exactly the right response. Now, and then Manoah continues. He takes the goat and the grain offering is wasting a lot of time. And he brings an offering. Now remember that he brings the offering. Um, now the angel ascends in the flame. Now we're not going to read the rest of... This story, which is not really going to have a, much of a bearing, you can read it's interesting enough. Um, then verse twenty-four. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Now Samson basically means uh, son of the sun, or man of of the sun. So like the, the, the sun. So. Um, it's also weird that he's—it's uh, he's, bearing he's a name like this. Mm-hmm. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Very significantly, the Lord blessed him. There was a blessing upon this child, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahaneh Dan between Zorah and Esdor. So now we have the sun is growing, and the Spirit of God started moving upon him.
1: Mm.
0: Okay.
1: So chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. First of all, he seems a bit spoiled in his approach. Uh, first of all, he doesn't actually know the woman, so he's, he's just going off what she looks like, what he's seen. Uh, this is not, obviously, in fair judgment, a decision made in fair judgment. He saw a woman that he liked and then goes to his parents and his entire attitude is, get her for me. Not
0: even a please. Not even
1: a please, not even a may I, (laughs) or could you escort me so that I can go meet her, or anything like that, just, I saw her, and I want to get her for me, Um, and then we see, it says, verse 3, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines, so this is this is wise counsel. So they're not just shutting him down and saying no. They're going, well, you know, son, are you sure there's no one among all the Israelites that perhaps you would want? And then we see his response again. And Samson said to his father, "Get her for me, for she pleases me well." So he doesn't even acknowledge the advice of the counsel of his father. He just ignores him straight out, and it's about his will what he wants, and wants it now. And this is very interesting. Uh, We did look a bit at 1 John recently, the letter of 1 John, and we see in the letter of 1 John that uh, he makes reference to the three main roots of sin, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And in this case, it seems that Samson is manifesting a bit of all three of these. Uh, because he saw what he wants, didn't make a, a good judgment call in meeting the woman first at least. So it's just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life, we see in his response towards his, to his, towards his father. And that he doesn't even listen to, to wise counsel or advice. And so this is obviously already scaring him in a very wrong direction. We see that the Spirit of the Lord did start moving upon him. We don't know much about the rest of his upbringing, so you know, it could be that perhaps his parents spoiled him because they assumed that his calling was great and so perhaps they didn't discipline him especially if we don't know. The fact of the matter is that we see things are not looking very well here. So let's continue with the story and we see what
0: happens. So just Wait, I you know stories. exactly what most of you are thinking now. So most of you would have been thinking at this stage, well, aren't they going to pay attention to the fact that they're not allowed to marry um, Canaanites? Doesn't God's law say that you, that an Israelite not allowed to marry these people? Surprise, surprise! When it comes to the Philistines. So, do you want to enlighten everybody regarding the list of forbidden fruit? <coughs>
1: So, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we see the list of nations that God prohibits the Israelites from mingling with and especially from marrying into.
0: But there's something more about this list. These are also the, 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 the nations that they are to utterly destroy.
1: Yes. Also. They are to wipe
0: them from the face of the earth. Not only shouldn't they mingle with them or intermarry with them, they are to kill them on sight. Mm. Um
1: Let's see the list. Okay. So, Deuteronomy chapter 7 from verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, and the Gergeshites and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire, for you are a holy people to Lord your God. Okay. So those are the seven nations that they are to, like you said, destroy on sight. Uh, basically obliterate them, and all traces that they were ever there. So, um, so those are the seven nations, and interestingly enough, the Philistines aren't actually mentioned in that list. So later we're going to look a little bit more at the Philistines. But so, interestingly enough, this, remember, because the laws of God have already been given by the time that Samson is born and the judges are in Israel. So, obviously we're thinking, well, how could, how could Samson go down to the Philistines and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Isn't this against the law? Well, we saw now that they aren't explicitly mentioned in the list of nations that God commands them to destroy. So, one could argue that Samson isn't actually doing anything wrong. The problem would be that the Philistines still have their own gods and their own idols. So, even though he's not directly breaking the law in marrying one of the nations that they were supposed to destroy, they are still uncircumcised. The Philistines are still not Israelite. So him intermarrying would still yoke him with what is an unbeliever. And and unclean. Okay. So, verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And we're going to come back to this later. Verse 5 So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Apparently, that's something they did quite often, tearing apart goats. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had. Down. Okay, now this doesn't seem like a big deal. Him not telling his father or mother that he tore apart a lion. You know, it might just be that he's protecting them because they would have been scared. Okay, let's continue. Verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time... So he goes down, talks to the woman, now he goes back home. Now, after some time... When he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there.
0: So why would this be so important? It seems to be this wonderful story, and it seems to be one of the um, parts of the story, or one of the elements of the story of Samson that elevates Samson. And um, it's basically on this that that we start to get the image of Samson as the hero, the strong man. He, he can fight against the lions. But you see what happened here was that um, he he went down to go and do what he was focused on, to go get his, his wife. Pretty big moment. He's going to go get that woman. Um, you can imagine him the previous night, lying awake in bed, excited. It's a big day tomorrow. But he turns aside to just go see the dead lion, the one that he taught to pieces a few days ago, or who knows how long ago. And there's um, bees. Has made bees have made their, their nest, their hive in it, and um, there's honey. So he takes some of the honey to eat now. My response would be, uh, this is gross, this is just not cool, how do you take honey out of a dead carcass mm-hmm. but he does, maybe he could say well, you know, they were having different fines and he eats it and then he's nice enough to take some back home so he takes some of the honey to his mother and his father and we know that you couldn't just go to the corner store and get a chocolate in those days so something sweet um, was really a, a big gift from Bob uh, honey was like probably um, sought after. People would go to We know that in some cultures across the world people will risk their lives um, to get to, to honey. Um, and so we, we actually know that, that there's, there's tribes uh, in, in forests where men would climb into the highest trees. To go get honey for all of their wives because it's the best gift you can bring. Something well, we know
1: with some of the pharaohs when they opened up their tombs, they actually found honey with them in their tombs. That's exactly. fine. But
0: yeah, That's so so honey. honey is a great mm. commodity. So, so he goes aside, finds honey, goes back home, doesn't even go get his wife, goes back home, and um, first brings honey to his parents. Look what I've got for you. Surprise, surprise. Okay, but the law of God says that you should not touch a dead animal because if you do, you are unclean. Now, this is Samson. His mother is instructed from before she conceives that she is not to eat anything unclean. That's for the rest of her life. This puts her husband, Manoah, under the same instruction. Mm. So they would never go anyth- near anything unclean. In the sight of God, they are charged to keep their sons safe, to, to remain uh, pure, to live a life of purity and never touch anything unclean. And here, Samson mm. comes. He's been raised in this uh, knowledge, he knows the laws. Mm. Now, if you touch something dead, you have to go and, and wash. There's ritual washing. Says that you touch a dead animal, you are unclean.
1: Um, Even the priests who had to bring the sacrifices, if they touched the um, the, the dead animal, they were unclean until evening, and there was exactly. a whole ritual of washing and become pure again.
0: Exactly. And um, besides that, if a person, a normal Israelite, touched a dead animal, then they had to bring a sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, to become clean again. Mm-hmm. He goes and he not only touches a carcass, he takes food from the carcass and he eats it. So he's as unclean as unclean can be at that moment. And then he goes back home and he brings the defilement into his house mm-hmm. and he brings the defilement into his father and his mother's uh, lives and in their, into their houses. So it starts off with these frightful. Um, disobedient, rebellious against his parents. Um, He's going to now take a wife from the uncircumcised uh, Philistines who has no covenant. With other words, if he has this wife, he would be perpetually unclean anyways. Because she has no covenant. She cannot partake in the feasts. She cannot prepare the right food for him. Uh, the food that she eats would be unclean, make her unclean. Um, So so all of that is unfolding, but then he just he just uh, skips that whole long process and he just goes and defiles himself becoming unclean. And this is why it is important that it says that he didn't tell them where he got the honey from. So, next week we're going to look at um, at the Philistines a little bit more, and mm-hmm. to look at them as a people in depth, um, and then we're going to look at the unfolding of Samson, the so-called hero, um, and the judge. Now we can see that very early on, although the Holy Spirit comes upon him, um, he's not going to walk the road. Just not going to walk the road, and um, so next week we'll look at the rest of the story. Let's you.